Today's podcast episode is going to be a little bit different. In today's episode, I'm digging into the Wedding Pro Members Lounge archive. Every month in the Members Lounge, I bring in the best experts to teach my members so that they are always stay ahead of the game. Inside the club, there's a library of over 50 training videos. And today I've dug into the archives and I'm bringing you a training from back in 2019. In this session, I interviewed my own accountant, Emma Bale from Evolve Accounting, to ask her all the ins and outs of what we need to know as small business owners, the little questions that sometimes we just don't know the answer to. To warn you, this was recorded three years ago, so the sound quality isn't as good as usual, but the information makes it worthwhile, so just bear with it. If you need help to grow your wedding business with access to my knowledge and my expert training sessions, then do check out my Wedding Pro Members Lounge. At only £20 a month is an absolute bargain and really great value to help you always stay ahead of your game. The link is in the show notes. Enjoy today's episode, back from 2019, where I talk to my accountant, Emma. I'm Becca Poutney, wedding business marketing expert, speaker and blogger, and you're listening to the Wedding Pros Who Are Ready To Grow podcast. I'm here to share with you actionable tips, strategies, and real-life examples to help you take your wedding business to the next level. If you are an ambitious wedding business owner that wants to take your passion and use it to build a profitable, sustainable business doing what you love, then you're in the right place. Let's get going with today's episode. Hi, Emma. Thank you so much for coming and joining us in the Members Club this morning. We're really excited um, to have you. I know people have been looking forward to the session a lot. So I just thought it'd be helpful if you just introduce yourself, tell us who you are, what you do, where you work. Um, so my name's Emma Bale. Um, I am a co-owner for a small accountancy practice based in Y Boston near St. Neots. My husband and I run it and we have a part-time Louise who works with us. We, we've been going about five years, although I've been an accountant for over 20 years, which makes me seem really old. Um, we specialise in small business, so exactly people like you and actually people like us. So um, a lot of our clients are um, mums who have uh, chosen to, to start their own businesses after having their children or people who have chosen to move away from more traditional work and, and freelance or have their own small businesses. Fab. So you are the right person for us to be talking to because we are all small business owners. And I know because I've worked with you before that you keep everything really simple as well, which is what we like about you don't make it complicated. So I'm going to go straight into the questions we've got. As I said, if any of you've got extra questions as we go along or comments, please leave them um, and I will keep an eye on them as we go through. So first question, let's keep it really basic to start with. What records should we be keeping, if any at all? Oh, please do keep records. <laughs> so it's income and expenditure for your, relating to your business. So the records of anything that you sell. So that could be copies of invoices that you give to clients. Or if you're dealing in cash, you might have a cash receipt book. But as much detailed record as you can on the income you receive for your business. And then also business-related expenses. So anything that you purchase directly related to your business. That could be, you know, if you make chairs, that would be the wood and the nails that you buy to make your chairs. Um, if you provide a more service type business, then that could be your laptop, stationery, um, maybe software, things like that. So anything that's related directly to your business, you need to keep your receipts um, either electronically or in paper form. Um, HMRC like you to keep those for seven years so that you can prove what you've earned and what you've what you've bought. 
And there's lots of different ways that you can keep those records. You can either have a sort of very paper-based way of doing that, or you can be a bit more clever about it and have a more electronic. But the, the most important thing is to keep, for everything that you purchase and everything you sell, to keep some sort of record, receipt, hard copy or soft to prove that that transaction happened. Perfect. So we should be keeping everything for seven years. Yes. <laughs> wow. Okay. That's good to know. I've got mine, I promise. Right. Okay. So next question. This one always throws people off. So what is the difference between net profit and gross profit? Ah, I love this question. So that can kind of slightly depend on what business you're in and um, what's included in net and gross, but we use a really easy example. So if you make chairs, you will sell your chairs to your customers, but you will have um, materials that you need to purchase to make your chairs. And that would be wood, nails, and maybe you might employ someone direct labor to make those chairs. So your gross profit would be your sales, less those costs of those sales would give you your gross profit. Then you take away your overheads. Overheads are things like rent, rates, um, you know, electricity, the office running costs, so your computers, your software, your stationery, all of those things. And that brings you down to your net profit. So your gross profit is everything that directly relates to your sale. Net, net profit includes those overheads, which are the overrunning costs of your business. So the theory is, if you had no sales, you would have no cost of sale, but you would still have those overheads because you'd still need to pay your, you know, your rent and your electric and your overheads. And that's how it works. And which one should we be paying the closest attention to? Both. Okay. Um, and, and so what I like to do is look at a percentage on both. Your gross profit, you can work out a percentage. So your gross profit divided by your sales. And you can compare that year to year. That's why it's really nice building up nice sets of accounts that, are, that have a good amount of detail. Because you can see if that gross profit percentage is going up or down. So what sometimes we see, thinking about our chair manufacturer, we might see that, that the sales double perhaps, but that the gross profit margin goes down. And so actually, it, they might have lost control of their costs. Um, so suddenly they're because they're really busy and they're making loads of extra sales, they're not paying attention to where they're buying their wood and their nails from and those costs are increasing. So for every pound of sale, they're not getting the same amount of, of gross profit. So that's a really important check. But that net profit's really important as well, because that's showing where your overheads are going. Is your electricity going up? Is, are you spending too much money on stationery? And it's that net profit that's going to give you a better indicator of how much tax you're going to pay. Okay, perfect. That's really helpful. Thank you. Okay, now lots of people in the members club um, have another job as well, either full time or part time. So how does that affect their account keeping? So it doesn't affect your, your business accounts at all. Um, your PAYE work is not included in your business account. So we still do your sales, less your costs, bringing you to your net profit. But when we come to calculate your tax, we will also include any other income that you receive you know, from your part or full-time job that you're doing PAYE. We'll combine all of those um, incomes together, calculate how much tax you need to pay on the total income, then with less any tax that you've already had deducted. And if you're on a PAYE scheme, if you're, if you're in employment somewhere else, they may well have deducted tax. And then it will be that balance at the end that you have to pay. So effectively, you're just paying tax on the extra income you receive from your business. Okay. And if we have an accountant, presumably they help us sort that we, out. I mean, I mean, from a very practical point, what you need to do is you, 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 you will keep your business records 
records as we've just talked about, but you will also give your accountant, hopefully me, your, <laughs> your P60 or your P45. So your P60 is a document your employer gives you at the end of the year, which is a total of everything you've earned and anything that they've deducted in tax. P45 is if you've left a, a, um, an employer during the year, they'll give you your P45 when you leave. And that, again, will be a summary of how much they paid you and how much tax is deducted. So you'd give those documents along with your business records to your accountant. And then the, the calculation that I've just described would be done to make sure you're not paying any more tax than you have to. Perfect. Thank you. That's really helpful. OK, so we talked at the beginning about the fact we need to keep records. So have you got any practical tips about how should how should we keep our records? How should we keep track of spreadsheet? What should we be doing? It, 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 there's, there's two things that drive this, how techy you are and, and how big your business is. So if you are a fairly low tech person, you're not really into spreadsheets or softwares, but your business is quite small, then you would you would completely get away with a folder. Um, with some dividers in it and you'd have one section for your bank statements, one section for records of your income and one section for, you know, all your receipts for your expenses. And I've got, I would say probably 40, 50% of my clients work on that basis and it works really well. And once a year they come to my office with their folder, with everything in it. And then we do the techie stuff. We enter it into software for them and do the bookkeeping. And that works really well. If your business is a bit bigger and you have a higher number of transactions, you might find that a bit difficult to keep track of. Um, you might want to then move to a spreadsheet-based uh, bookkeeping system. So, and there's lots of different ways we can do it, and I can I provide templates to my clients for those who want one. But really, you still need to keep that the paperwork that we've talked about in the folder. But then you'd also enter that information onto a spreadsheet. All of your sales, less all of your costs. The good way about the good thing about doing that is then you yourself can keep a bit of a track throughout the year of how much profit you're making. It's not going to be the exact accounting profit that your accountant's going to come up to at the end of the year because they'll do some accounting adjustments, but it will give you a rough idea. So you'll know if you're making any money and you'll be able to have roughly a bit of an idea how much tax you need to be putting away. So spreadsheets for that smaller business can, but but that's maybe a little bit too big to just have a paper-based system works really well. As you get bigger, you might start to think about um, software. So the more transactions you've got, the more kind of unwieldy it all gets and you can end up with, you know, I've got clients who sort of turn up, quite often builders, turn up with a bin bag full of receipts, um, you know, and it can take me a day to sort them out. Those sorts of clients really should be doing their, their, their record keeping on, on some sort of software. Um, and again, it really depends how techy you are. There's some really complicated softwares out there. There's some really user-friendly stuff. Um, but really, it's about inputting that information into the software and then your accountant will be able to log in and kind of police that and check that you're doing everything right and pull the information off that you need. And which software would you recommend? Would you Have you got anything that you think is better for small businesses? It really depends on you as a business. There's lots of great software out there and, you know, I could we could talk about this for, you know, we could do a whole separate hour on software. A lot of it depends on your business and what your requirements are. I like Zero. Um, Zero has become very fashionable recently. Um, I like Zero because it's web-based. And what's great about that, it means that you can access, access it anywhere. You can access it on your phone. Um, you can access it on your laptop. Um, as your accountant, I can log in and access it. So we can have a phone conversation. We're both looking at the numbers together and you can get lots of reports off it. Um, so I really like Zero from that point of view. It is quite user-friendly. Um, and I'm actually just about to become a zero partner, which means I'm doing some extra training with zero to make sure I'm 
you know, extra knowledgeable in that particular software because I really like it. But that that's just a personal preference. QuickBooks is a good is a really good bit of kit as well and works very similarly to Zero. Um, it's been around on the market a lot longer than Zero. Um, and it works in a very similar way. It is web-based, so you can log on to it wherever you are. I could log on to it too as your accountant, and we can both look at it together. Um, how you choose between the two, it kind of then becomes a little bit more business-specific. Um, I personally think the Zero stock management system is a little bit better than Zero. So if you were my client and you had a, a lot of stock, maybe you were a wedding dress shop, you know, I might say maybe Zero is going to work for you a little bit better. But that again, that's more of a personal preference. So, you know, we'd look at those two bits of software together. There's also some much cheaper software out there. There's things like KPM and, you know, various different softwares like that if you want to go a little bit lower cost. And if your business isn't too complicated, if you haven't got high levels of stock, if you haven't got, you know, those sort of um, more complicated uh, transactions that you need to record, then you might not feel that you need to invest in in them um, in zero or in quickbooks and also with a lot of these softwares they have different levels so they most of them will have a, a basic free or very cheap um version and then a sort of mid-range one which most people use and then a sort of more expensive much more complex one if your if your business needs it um so it's really about sort of shopping around figuring out what it is that you need and seeing which of those softwares fit in with you perfect that's really helpful someone's commented i can't see who it is but they've said emma says don't bring all my receipts in a bin bag when I met with her. So it's <laughs> clearly someone that's been to me with you. That's made me laugh. Don't bring all your receipts to me in a bin bag. I've got, I always say this, I've got a couple of clients, they're always builders, bless them. They're always sort of my best and my worst clients at the same time. They always come in and we have a bit of a laugh. But um, it, those clients who do that, literally, I think they open their van doors, scrape all the receipts into a bin bag and hand them to me once a year. And that's fine. Um, I think that... You're always going to pay an accountant a lot more money for that type of service because, you know, I have to spend a day on the floor dusting concrete off the seats and getting them in an order before I can even start doing my job. But I think if you're a business owner yourself, if you're if you're keeping records in that way, you get to the end of the year and you will genuinely have no idea whether or not your business has been successful. You will genuinely not know have I made a profit or a loss or, you know, so I think. I, I do worry about businesses that sort of keep their records like that. It always just feels a bit that they're running those businesses on instinct. Um, rather, those businesses that use software or, um, you know, a spreadsheet tend to have a lot better track of kind of where they are with their business throughout the year. Perfect. Um, just to let everyone know, I can see you've got some questions coming in. I'm going to come back to them at the end. So we're going to keep going and I'll come back to your questions. So I haven't ignored them, but I will come back to them. OK, here's the golden question, um, which the answer to this one we met last time really scared me. So can I just do my tax return myself? Um, you can. Absolutely, you can. Legally, there's absolutely nothing to stop you doing your tax return yourself. And lots of people do. Um, and lots of people don't. And lots of people do and get it horribly wrong and get themselves into trouble. It really comes down to your own personal capabilities. So I think you have to ask yourself the really honest question. Do I have the competency to do this? Do I really understand what's being asked of me? Do I really understand HMRC's compliance Um you know, do I understand the tax rules? Do I understand what I can and cannot claim for? And if honestly, honestly, the answer is yes, then then yeah, do it. But what I do see quite often, I'm actually working on on um, a, a piece of client work at the moment, and he he did his his own tax return for the last two years, 
and then his tax bills are incredibly high and he's paid them, but he's sort of had this niggling feeling that it, it's not right somehow. And so he's asked me to go back over the last two years and redone it. And I've just saved him about £800 worth of tax. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so it's it, it's one of those kind of, it, it's a risk. Um, I've also got another client at the moment who did her own tax return um, and has now come to me because she's being compliance checked by HMRC and they're trawling back through the last seven years of her records, um, which is incredibly stressful for her. So the answer is, yes, you absolutely can do it. But I think, you know, with anything in life, only do it if you've got the competency to do it, you know, for the same reason why I wouldn't do my own website, because I'm just not technically minded enough to be able to do that. Um, but there are other things that I do do myself because I because, because I can. Yeah, I think that the thing that kind of, I guess, scared me when we talked before at the masterclass was that more the compliance check that actually they can come back to you and talk yeah. to you about any time in the last seven years. And you have to be able to show a really good um, record of what you've yeah you, you need to have a really good audit trail of that and um yeah it's um it is it is frightening for, for clients when that happens when we you know i mean there's a couple of things to consider the first thing is if the, if you are if you have an accountant and your accountant submits your tax return on your behalf hmrc know that so you are statistically a little likely to be compliance checked because hmrc know that if an accountant's done it it's more likely to be correct so they, they tend to focus a little bit more on people that have done it themselves. That doesn't mean if you have an accountant, you definitely won't be compliance checked. But it also means, you know, when I'm doing accounts with clients, I'm thinking about several things at the same time. Firstly, about getting the accounts right um, and making sure that we are compliant with the rules. Secondly, making sure that I'm minimising the tax liability for the client, because at the end of the day, that, that's the name of the game. But, but doing that legally and doing that using the provision that we have available to us. And thirdly, I've always got in the back of my mind, if a HMRC inspector was here looking at this right now, do we have that audit trail? You know, can we prove, are we demonstrating that these are accurate accounts? Um, and I think it's really important that all those sort of boxes are ticked as you're, as you're going through your year end. Perfect. So here's the next question that we're all thinking, if we don't have an accountant, is it expensive to have an accountant? Like I know when we talked again before, I had absolutely no idea how much it costs to have an accountant. So is it expensive? Depends how big a business you are. I mean, our starting rate for sale, for sale trade is £150 um, for the year-end accounts. That's the, the accounts, the tax return, tax calculations, all the advice, you know, face-to-face with me, etc. And then whatever help you need through the year. Obviously, that goes up. Um, our most, you know, our, I think our biggest client pays something like five grand in the year, but they're a big limited company, you know, with payroll and all sorts of things. And we've got lots of clients in between. You know, for the average small, um, you know, sole trader running some sort of business from home, you're going to be typically looking between 150 and 300 pounds, you know, depending. Um, and I think then what you've got to weigh in your mind is, you know, what are you getting for that? money um you know firstly i think you're certainly getting that peace of mind that you know it's correct but then thinking about that piece of client work i've been working you know on the last couple of days while he has had to pay me some money to do the work he's actually saved six or seven hundred quid in tax as a result um so no i don't i don't think an accountant is is particularly um expensive i think that they're it depends who you use there are lots of different types of accountants so there are some very large accountancy firms out there who are geared for towards the very large client and their fees will be higher and you do find as a small sole trader if you go to the very large practices you end up sort of paying big practice fees 
but you're paying for the luxury and they have a receptionist you know they have the fancy paper they have you know they've got their Range Rovers parked in the in the in the car park outside you know they've got somebody answering the phone and all that sort of thing if you go to a smaller practice either just a single um sole trader you know some, some accountants but you know run their businesses from their home which is how I started you know we've got premises now um but you know I answer my own phone I post my own letters so you know we don't have those overheads so you know I think sort of it's about finding the accountant that matches you so I think small small accountants tend to work better for small businesses and big accountants tend to work better for, for big businesses and I think it's worth every penny to take <laughs> away the stress okay now we're going to talk now about things that we can claim I know this is something that lots of people like and have lots of questions about so we'll do some basic rules um, and then we'll go through some specifics and I've seen a few people asking the comments as well so quick roundup of basic rules what we can and can't we claim against so so the, the umbrella rule on onto all of this is 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 the expense wholly for the purpose of your business so there was lots of things that are really obviously again thinking about our chair manufacturer you know if you make chairs then your wood and your nails are very obviously um for your business if you are a wedding dress supplier then obviously the purchase of wedding dresses and, and accessories for resale are very obviously for your business this. you know if you're buying you know the, the pen and the, and the notepad that I've got in front of me at the moment you know that's a stationary cost for my business that's all pretty obvious stuff um there are some things that people try to claim which are just absolutely outrageous I mean a, a couple of a couple of years ago a client who works from home wanted to expense all of his new patio furniture the argument was that oh I sometimes sit outside my garden and do my work and you know the, the answer to that is really you know it, could you have that conversation? If HMRC uh, tax inspector was sitting in front of you, could you honestly, with a straight face, argue that as a genuine business expense? And the answer is probably not. So most of it's pretty obvious. Um, you know, have you bought it for your business? Yes, then it almost certainly is a business expense. Where you get some woolly areas where people aren't really quite sure, it's things like phone and mileage. And, you know, sometimes people ask me things like, well, what about my glasses? Um, you know, because I need my glasses to work on the computer. So are they a taxable business expense? And the answer is no, um, because they're for you personally, for they're for your eyes. You haven't bought them to actually trade in your business. Um, and there are areas, of course, like um, mobile phones. So yes, of course, you need your mobile phone to run your business. Um, if that is your own mobile phone and you use it for business and personal, then we'll take a percentage, normally 50% for your business, 50% for personal. If you're using your car um, for your business, then record your mileage and we'll do a mileage calculation based on that. Um, so, so yeah, expenses really, the, the key question is, is it exclusively and wholly for your business? Perfect, someone wrote, I'm working in my garden now. <laughs> I wish I was. <laughs> okay, so let's go into some of the specifics that people asked about then. So I know Rachel asked this earlier. So she is a videographer, um, basically she wears all black, to do a wedding, lots of photographers do. Can she came back on the clothes that she buys for wearing at those events or not? I'm afraid not. So there was some things you can, but generally no. So if it's a uniform, so if you've got like a polo shirt with your business logo across it, then you can do. Um, likewise, if it's specialist clothing, so if you're a chef, then your chef hat and chef jacket would be tax deductible. Um, anything specialist or safety, so if you had safety goggles or safety gloves, all those sorts of things, they are tax deductible. If it's just clothes, then no. And there was a, there was an interesting case a couple of years ago um, with HMRC. It was a, it was a lawyer, and she wanted to 
claim her suits that she wore for work as a tax deductible expense. And her argument was, well, uh, you know, in everyday life, I wouldn't wear a black smart suit. I'd be in my jeans and T-shirt. I only buy and wear black smart suits for work. Therefore, it's work expense. And then they took it to court and HMRC won. And what the judge actually, he used a lovely phrase, which was, you have to clothe your naked body. And that was the ruling by the judge is that, you know, you you have to wear clothes in the course of your day. OK, you're choosing a particular style of clothes to, to match your job, but you do still actually need to wear clothes. Um, so on that basis, no, your black T-shirt, trousers, things like that are not taxable. Not taxable. OK. But put a logo on it. And then it is. And then it is. Okay. Okay, we talked about phone. Oh, that's giant. Um, we can so we can claim for our phone, but we work out a percentage. Is that right? Yeah. So you can do a couple of things. Um, if you have, I mean, I have two phones. I have my personal phone and I have my business phone. And I did that um a couple of years ago because I've got fed up with people phoning me up at eleven o'clock at night wanting to talk about accounts. So I have a separate business phone. So my separate business phone is one hundred percent um a business cost. A lot of people use their phone, the one phone for business and for personal. And so on that basis, we work out a percentage. So if you were to say to me, well, it's about half and half, then that's what we that's what we do. 50 50 um, split between business and work and home. Okay. Perfect. OK, someone's asked this question, so I'm going to bring it in. Um, if I buy a laptop and use it half for work and half for personal use, how does that work as a business expense? Exactly as you described. So we charge half of it to work and half of it to personal. So we just put half of the cost into the business. Okay. So if you have a laptop and you use it for anything other than work, then you have to split it as a percentage. Is that right? You should do. Okay. <laughs> Perfect. Right. Let's go to the next one. Someone else asked about this as well. So I'll put it up. So if I'm meeting a potential couple, obviously in the wedding industry, we go out and meet people that might end up booking us, show them photos, that kind of thing. Can we claim the food and drink that we buy for them at that meeting? It's not a tax deductible expense. So um, what we can do is we can put it in your accounts. So when we produce your accounts, your profit and loss account, you've got your sales, less all of your costs down to your profit. It can be really useful to put that in. It's called, it's classified as client entertaining, and it can be really useful to put it in your account so that you can see as a business how much you're spending and what the impact on your profit is. As a business, that's good to know. However, when we come to calculate your tax, that cost cannot be included in the tax calculation. Um, client entertaining just isn't a tax deductible expense. Okay, so don't wine and dine your clients too expensive because you can't claim it back. Okay. <laughs> Businesses. I, mean, I met with a client the other day um, who runs a PR business, and for her, that's a, that she, actually her her client entertaining spend is is huge. Like she spends a lot of money every year doing it, but she wouldn't have a business if she didn't. So she has to do it. She has to spend it. We record it in the P and L. We track it year to year. We you know we have a look at how, what the impact on sales is and things like that. But we take it out for tax purposes. So yeah, it, it's not. I think. There's a bit of a myth out there that it's tax deductible. So people say, oh, I can spend this because it's on the tax line and that isn't true. So it's worth kind of thinking about how much you're spending and keeping in control on that spend. Quick question from me on this subject. So I was thinking about this the other day. So if we are buying stuff like that, so say I go to Costa for a meeting and I buy the drinks and I know that's not tax deductible, should I be still keeping the receipt or not worrying about it? It, it doesn't matter. From a tax point of view, it just isn't relevant. Um, you as a business owner may want to keep that and put that in your, you know, in your QuickBooks and have it in your P&L. So you're keeping a track of, you know, how much I'm spending for my business. It's less important about keeping the receipt because we're taking it out for tax calculations anyway. So HMRC's 
and we're talking about sole trader is slightly different if you're a limited company. But I mean, from your but if you're going to keep all your receipts and all your records and record all of this anyway, I mean, might as well. But it, it doesn't, you know, HMRC not as important. If you were to be compliance checked, HMRC would not want to look at the receipts for that because we're not including that in the tax calculation anyway. Perfect. Okay. Um, okay. Lots of us work from home, so can we claim anything from working from home? Yes, you can. There's two ways of doing it. HMRC provides some rates, which is simplified expenses, which are according to how many, it might be £10 a month or £20 a month, according to how many hours you do. And that's the simplest way. And, and that's quite good for people who just kind of work on their kitchen table or whatever. Um, if you have a, a dedicated room, so you've converted your spare room into an office and you use that dedicated for business, the better way to do it would be to actually calculate the cost. So we would take... If you're renting your property, the rent, if um, if you own it, then we'd take the interest element of your mortgage, plus all the running cost of your house, so electric, gas, water, all of those overheads. And then we would allocate, so we'd work out what percentage that room is of your house, and we'd, we'd work out a working from home allowance. And that can actually work out quite beneficial. If we end up coming up with a cost of, say, £700, that £700 is tax deductible. That reduces your net profit by £700 and therefore reduces your tax liability. So it's worth doing. Yeah, that is worth doing. And if you That's if you, um, if you you um buy like a, you know, like when you get a summer house or a shed for your garden to work from, can you claim anything on that or not? I'm afraid you can't, no. So that, that falls under the category of capital spend. So anything that's deemed as an improvement to your house and because that's a structure, HMRC view that as an improvement. No, that's not. You you could, but you get into this really sticky sort of capital gainsy sort of you know territory when you come to sell the house and stuff. So uh, you know, no, really. Okay. All right. Next question. How should I log and claim my mileage? <laughs> Depends what system you're using. If we're going back to our paper based system where you've got your folder and you're doing it all paper, then get yourself a notepad and just write every day the date, the purpose of the journey. Um, so it might be the name of the client or that you're going to Tesco's to buy stationery or coming to see your accountant. Um, postcodes, number of miles, and just record that throughout the year. If you're using a spreadsheet, then put a tab on your spreadsheet and exactly the same date, purpose of my uh, purpose of journey, um, postcodes and number of miles. It's the round trip. Um, if you're using software, quite a lot of softwares actually provide um, a method. So um, QuickBooks, uh, certainly the self-employed part, has a has a mileage log in there that you can record. But certainly keep keep records of that mileage because again, it's all it's all tax deductible. Perfect. Okay, right. This is the last official question from me, and then I'm going to take a few of the questions that we got from the comments. Um, so if we're doing really well um, with our self-assessment and our business is booming, at what point do we then consider becoming a limited company? It really depends on your reasons for wanting to become a limited company. There are lots. There are financial and non-financial reasons. Um, there are some tax benefits to becoming limited, but only once you're a certain size. Um, and that certain size, it kind of varies from one business to the next, but it's roughly, roughly that 30k profit so not sales but profit the way you pay yourself the way you take money out of a limited company is very different than how you take your money out of a, of a sole trader and there are some tax benefits you will save tax you'll pay less tax but you will pay your accountant quite a lot more money for doing all of that for you you'll have payroll costs and accountancy fees because there's a lot more work involved so you need to find that sweet spot where the tax that you're saving outstrips the extra money that you're paying your accountant and usually typically that's around that 30k profit 
profit. But there are lots of other reasons why you become a limited company that's got nothing to do with tax. And I certainly, I'm not really an advocate of only making that decision based for just to save tax and for no other reason. And you need to think about what's right for your business. So um, for some, for certain industries, being a limited company, um, it's good for image. So some of your clients might prefer to work for you if you work with you if you're a limited company because it, it it makes them feel a little bit more secure that you're a, a proper business. It, it's all about perception. It's not a real thing, but you know, but you know, you start, certain industries certainly find that easier. Some people feel a little bit more protected working in that limited company structure. Um, so you do have that limited liability. So if you're to take um, finance or loans out in the name of your business, that does protect your personal assets in a way that you're not protected so much if you take out business loans in your own name. But I think there is a bit of a myth out there of just how much protection that you get as a limited company. It doesn't protect you from anything and everything. So you are still personally liable. You know, you'll see on the news every now and again, directors going to prison for, um, you know, large companies going to prison for, for negligence. You know, you are still responsible for the work that you do. So you can't provide a company. So th there's lots and lots of reasons why you might want to. And I think the first step is always to sit and look at the numbers with your accountant and talk through all the reasons, you know, why you would want to do that. Perfect. OK, let's take a few questions from people that are coming in. If you've got any last questions, pop them up now before we finish. So this person says, am I right in saying you can't climb mileage from home to place of work, such as if you have a studio or a lockup to go to? Correct. So I'm sitting here in my office that I rent in my Boston. I cannot claim the mileage here because it's my regular place of work. However, if I now go and see a client, I can claim that mileage. Or if I go to the stationery shop, shop to go and stock up on folders, I can claim that mileage. But if you're somebody that sort of floats around and does, you know, if you're a mobile hairdresser and you're going to lots of different places, then, then all of that mileage is, is um, tax deductible. Perfect. Okay, next question. Can we claim for food we have to buy whilst working away from home for an all-day wedding? Not all day, but if you're away overnight, then you can do. But if it's just, you know, HMRC, if you think about going back to my days before I had my business, when I worked in London, I would get on the train at seven in the morning and go to London. I wouldn't get home till seven o'clock, eight o'clock at night. I couldn't, you know, all of that food costs i bought my lunch when i was out in london that was all my own cost so hmrc argue that's exactly the same if you're a business owner if you work away overnight obviously then that's a that's for your business so we go back to that wholly and exclusively for your business and then your evening meal and your breakfast becomes tax deductible and your overnight stay yes and your overnight stay absolutely your your hotel costs cool Okay, next. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Sorry, I was going to say, there isn't a limit on that, interestingly. So um, the wording is something like, you know, reasonable. Um, and the HMRC always makes me a bit nervous when they say things like that, because the subjective, you know, I might feel that reasonable would be, you know, a five star hotel and a, you know, a, a slap up, you know, £150 meal. HMRC might look at that and not feel quite the same way. So I think it's always been trying to be a little bit sensible about about what you do with that. Okay, next question. Does it matter when you submit your tax return? It does. Um, so the, the, the year end is the 5th of April. So we've just come through our year end now, the 5th of April, which is the year 1819. That tax return is due the 31st of January next year, if you do it online. In theory, you can sit on it and you can submit it on the 31st of January, if you like to do that. Um, and it's legally, there's nothing to stop you doing that. That always makes me nervous. Um, I, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of doing it early. I, you know, I think those clients that come in in these early months are usually less stressed 
um, a little bit more organised. We can do your tax return now-ish or over the summer. I can tell you how much your tax bill is. You still don't need to pay it until January, but at least then you know you can tax plan and you know what uh, what expense to expect. Um, I've you know seen had very stressed clients in my office before now who've chosen to leave it until that December and January, been given a tax bill that they weren't perhaps expecting. And then they've got no time to save for that and they're in the middle of Christmas and all that time when it's really expensive. So I personally get it, get it done early, um, but then don't actually pay it until the January when it's due. Perfect. And I'm ad I'm a big advocate for getting it done early. And last year we ran um, in the Engage group a tax return challenge to everyone to get their accounts up to scratch by the end of June. Um, so I th And someone won some Prosecco who took part. So I think we might do something again like that. Um, so keep your eyes out, guys, because I think that was fun. It motivated us all to get our accounts sorted out. <laughs> I love it. I, I think it just it, there's such a difference in, you know, those clients that pop in there with their accounts, they're relaxed, they're feeling a bit small because they're getting it done early. You know, it's a very different feel. Jan I hate January because I'm just surrounded by really stressed out people who, because it's been so long since their year end, they've lost half of their receipts. They, you know, they don't know what the tax bill is going to be. They're really aware that they're running out of time. And it just doesn't, it's not a very comfortable position. So yeah, get it, get it done, get out of the way. And when everybody else, like running around like headless chickens in January, you can just sit back and be really smug knowing that you've done. <laughs> okay, this is a personal question, so I don't know if you can answer it, but I'll ask it and then see what you can or can't answer okay it says can i ask something about tax my hubby is pay aye works for a large company but now tax people have told him he needs to do self-assessment too we're a bit confused as he's also been given a tax bill for year 17 18. i'd need to look at the details of that that's a bit okay um i mean just as an overview there's lots of reasons why a pa somebody on paye may need to do a tax return it might be that their salary is over the limit to do it might be something to do with child benefit it could be um if you're over 100k salary and you need to do it anyway there's lots of different reasons it might be something to do with p11d's not being filed properly there's a whole host of reasons but um whoever that is if you want to give me a ring i'd be happy to have a look at it for you Perfect. Okay. Is it true that all businesses will have to be doing accounts online by some point fairly soon, e.g. on Zero or QuickBooks? Yeah, I mean, it doesn't have to be Zero or QuickBooks, but what we've got coming in now is making tax, tax digital, which is causing a bit of a hoo-ha in the world of accounts. They're phasing it in. So basically what they're trying to get away from people doing is just doing everything on paper or just doing everything on spreadsheets. They want everything really digital. And so then those digital transfers to be directly out of the software up into, um, into HMRC. So the VAT MTD, Making Tax Digital for VAT, has come in now. Um, and that's for all businesses that have a turnover of over £85,000. So for, for a lot of people, it doesn't really affect them. For my clients who do have businesses that size, the changes that I've got, I'm thinking of one client particularly, they keep all their records on a spreadsheet um, and that causes it poses a problem in terms of how making tax digital works um, in that really what they need to be doing is putting the information directly into a software and uploading it directly um, into HMRC. There are some solutions like bridging software and things like that, which I don't think today is really the time to look at that. But it's, um, you know, it, it, it is changing the way that people are working. 
for a lot of people, it doesn't really matter. If you're already somebody that uses Xero or QuickBooks or any of the other um, MTV compliance softwares, it kind of doesn't really matter. It's really more a thing for your accountant or just slightly change the way that they do things. If you are a business, and, and it's it's surprising they do exist. I have a client, a new client whose um, turnover is over £100,000 and they're doing everything handwritten on a notepad, which to me just blows my mind anyway. <laughs> and um, that... Uh, you know, and they are not making touch digital compliant for their VAT purposes. So we are ha they're having to go through a massive learning curve at the moment where we're moving them onto software. They're having to learn how to use it. Everything that they're doing is is different, and that's really hard for them. Um, so so it is kind of it's a bit hard on some people. For most people, the transition's been quite easy. Making touch digital is going to be rolled out sort of to everybody, so it will impact um, self-assessment people, sole traders as well. I think what HMRC are doing is bringing it for the over 85K um, VAT clients at the moment, bringing that in, ironing out any problems. You know, those are the clients that are more likely to be on software at this point anyway. Um, and then they'll roll it out to, to, to you guys, I guess. Um, and they're looking at around 2020, but I don't know, it, you know, within the accountancy community, there's a lot of talk of whether or not that will be delayed and how that's going to work. And I think a lot of it's kind of up in the air. The key thing, I think, really, is that your accountant should be working with you as you get closer to that, you know, and informing you and letting you know if you if you need to make any changes. Perfect. A couple more quick questions. If you have a van for business use only, do you need to record mileage or just keep fuel receipts? Fuel receipts. Okay, yeah. so you don't need so to record the mileage. 100% for business, you don't use it for anything else. Every single thing that you, so you need the purchase of the van, your fuel receipts, your MOT bill, your repairs bill, you know, new tyres, all of that. Just keep all of the receipts for all of the costs relating to that. And is credit card evidence acceptable as sometimes I don't get a receipt for fuel? Um, it It is, it's not ideal. And certainly if you get into a VAT position, so if, if, you're, if you become VAT registered, um, you need to have the VAT receipt that actually details the VAT on there. Um, as a sole trader, it, it's, I don't like it, but if you if that's the only, you know, if you don't have a receipt, then you don't have a receipt. Having said that, you know, get, I, I don't know of any garages that don't give a receipt if you don't if you ask for one. So <laughs> only when the receipt machine's broken at the pump, oh, <laughs> you have right. to go inside. Maybe yeah, I, mean, I don't know. It, it's it's a, yeah. I mean, you can do. Um, HMRC do provide for incomplete records. So there are occasions where people have lost their receipts or, you know, things have gone wrong and your accountant will be able to, should be able to build up those accounts for incomplete records. Um, if it's the odd receipt that's missing and it's on the bank statement, then that's kind of fine. But, you know, sometimes we get to clients who literally they've lost all of their receipts or half of their receipts or something. And then it, it, it becomes a little bit trickier then. And then we have to declare to HMRC that's, that some of it's estimated. So as much as you can keep those records, but yeah, of course, every, you know, I've done it. I've lost receipts before now, you know, it, it happens. Um, yeah. Okay, can we claim for an overnight stay if we're attending a course directly related to improving our business, like a training course or only yeah. for a wedding? Yeah, you can. Perfect. And final question, because I know you've got to go. How can we get in touch with Emma? Someone's <laughs> asked. <laughs> oh, I should have like, um, well, here's my, I don't know if you'll be able to see my business card. Well, I can post your details in after. Yeah, yeah. I'll post them in. Yeah. yeah, Becca, you've got my details. Um, give me a ring. We've got a Facebook page. We've got um, uh, a website um, or phone, and you can speak to me directly. Um, you know, just give me a ring or email, and we can have a chat. 
what I like to do is just have a quick chat on the phone um, just get a bit of an initial idea of, you know, are we what you're looking for? You know, can we help you? And then I always like to get people in really, come and have a cup of tea and sit in our, I've just been decorating our office so you can come and admire our new window blinds and, um, you know, just sort of get to know each other and work out a quote and work out how that's going to, you know, what service we can provide going forward. It's, we try and keep it quite kind of relaxed and, and easy. Perfect. Thank you so much, Emma. Thank you. Uh, take care. I hope you found that episode from Back in My Members Club archives really helpful. Remember, if you are a member, you can go back and watch any of the video training sessions in the archives whenever you want. And if you're not a member yet and you're thinking about it, go and check out all the information in the show notes and find that special offer that I have for podcast listeners there as well. I'll be back next week. In the meantime, go sort out your accounts and I'll see you soon. Mm-hmm.